Well, good morning, church. I trust and pray that your time together this morning has been a wonderful time as you've gathered together in the presence of Almighty God. A huge thanks to Nevin and Beverly for lighting the candle of hope for us this morning. To Pastor Joanne for leading our service together and of course for our praise team for leading us so well in worship as they always do. This morning, as has already been mentioned, I am in our Nazarene church in the Shankle with the Nazarene family there uh, and I'm preaching and Pastor Ryan was actually supposed to be preaching here at McGeehan but alas, sickness struck and he is unable to be here this morning. So unfortunately, you're stuck with me again. But if you're wondering why my voice maybe sounds a little bit funny or you're listening in, you're like, he sounds different. I do. I actually bit my tongue on Thursday and my tongue has actually become quite swollen, which has caused a lisp to develop. So I trust that you can just bear with me um, for the next wee while. But just because before we come and gather around the Word together, uh, which for those of you who have Bibles with you, either physically or electronically, you can be turning to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. But before we get there, I would like to draw your attention to our Advent devotions, which will be happening again this year, starting tomorrow. Entitled, Do You Hear What I Hear? The pastoral team, myself, Pastor Joanne, Pastor Ryan, and along with some other members of the congregation, we've put together uh, devotions which will run from Monday to Friday each week until Christmas. And then because Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are a Saturday and a Sunday, this year we'll also have some bonus devotions that week too. These devotions will focus on biblical truths of some of the songs which we sing together at Christmas time. Songs which we sing in church, songs which we sing in the car, and songs which we sing around the house as we're decorating and perhaps putting the tree up, which I know many of you have already this week. This week's devotions can be found on the table on the way out in printed form for those who don't have access to the internet. And for those who do, those who are on our church mail chain, email chain and um, have access to the internet, these will be emailed out to you later on today in PDF format, the whole complete devotions, but also in two different formats. One which will be iBook format, which if you have an iPhone you can double click on and the book will go and you'll be able to read it on your iBooks app. And also the other format will be on uh, a Kindle as well. So if you have a Kindle or even the Kindle app, you'll be able to download it and read it as you would a normal book there as well. That will be in your inbox later on today. There'll also be each individual devotion will be posted on our Facebook page each morning around half past seven for those to read there as well. Why do we do this? Well, we do this because I believe that there is great power in the people of God reading the Word of God together. Even though we may be physically apart, reading the same passages of Scripture and the same truths of Scripture together, there is great power in that as the Lord speaks to his people. So please do avail of what is a fantastic resource, especially the ones that I didn't write myself. But this morning, 
as we come and as we gather around the word, our attention shifts. For the past number of weeks, we have been working through the books of First and Second Samuel together as a church here on Sundays. Um, but despite singing a Christmas carol last week, much surprisingly to Graham's disgust as he got up and did the announcements, this week is the first Sunday of Advent. And as such, we turn our attention this morning to the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we do so on the other side of his death and resurrection. For as the prophets of old foretold of the birth of the Saviour of the world, we as the people of God eagerly anticipate his second coming, the return of our Lord and Saviour, when he will come and take us to be with him and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, filled with hope. Earlier in the service, Peter will have read for us some words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. And whilst I admit that they were selected to coincide with the message which Pastor Ryan was preparing to share with us this morning, it would be important for us to bear the hope contained within those words in mind as we journey through Isaiah 64 together this morning. And as we do, context, as always, is very important. Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 9 are verses which are found as part of a prayer of lament. A prayer of lament by the prophet Isaiah to God. God who, in his loving kindness, has made a way for his people to return from their exile in Babylon to their home in Jerusalem. But whenever they got back to Jerusalem, they found that Jerusalem lay in ruin. And it is from this context of hurt and confusion and pain that the prophet Isaiah writes as the spiritual home of the people of Israel lies desolate. And he cries out to God. He cries out to God to forgive his people for their sin and rebellion and to once again restore the fortunes of the people of Israel. To restore their fortunes and their great city. And perhaps most, of all, most important of all, to restore their relationship toward and with their God. Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 4 reads as follows. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or, ear, or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Amen. Waiting is hard, isn't it? 
Some might even say that waiting is uncomfortable and even unnerving. That waiting makes them anxious and makes them a little bit tetchy. No one enjoys waiting. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, I enjoy waiting. And I hate to be the one to break it to you this morning. I hate to be the one to tell you, but that makes you a little bit weird. You see, as human beings, our natural inclination seems to be to do rather than to wait. We don't seem to enjoy waiting. We don't seem to enjoy silence. We don't seem to enjoy a lack of closure. Yet every year, as the people of God, we come together at this time of year and we celebrate waiting. For Advent, this season in which we find ourselves, it is a season of waiting. We like to get things done, don't we? We like, to, we like things to be in proper order according to our very specific specifications. And as a result, the art of waiting seems to have been lost somewhere along the way. Ever since I was a child, waiting has never been something which I have been comfortable with. During Advent, a highlight, even now, is the Advent calendar. Chloe and I bought our calendars and calendars for the kids pretty much as soon as they hit the shelves in Tesco. And as a kid, I loved an Advent calendar. But always on the 25th day, on Christmas morning, when the chocolate inside was bigger than all the other days, my two brothers would be tucking into their big bit of chocolate and I, well, I had already eaten it. I'd already eaten it around the 14th to the 15th of December. And I'd closed the wee, I'd opened it, taken it out, eaten it in secret. Then I'd closed the wee door in such a way that it looked that it hadn't been opened before. And, and, and so on Christmas morning, when my brothers were tucking in, I watched them with widened eyes and with open mouth in the unlikely hope that they would consider giving me a bit of theirs. Even as a child, I could not wait. I did not like to wait, and even to this day, I still don't like to be kept waiting. In this passage, as Isaiah the prophet sees the city of Jerusalem lying in ruin, he cries out to God to step down. He cries out to God to intervene. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. For the prophet remembers what the God of Israel had done for his people throughout history. How God had freed them from the tyranny of slavery in Egypt. How God had parted the Red Sea and made a way across to dry land. How he had gone before them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And how by night in a pillar of fire he led them and gave them light. 
And here in these verses, Isaiah specifically recounts of how Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke as God had descended on the mountain in fire and causes it to tremble, responding to Moses in thunder. Isaiah had not forgotten the great and awesome things which God had done for the people of Israel in the past. And he now trusts that since he waits upon the Lord as Moses did before him, that the Lord will also act on his behalf in his day. I think if we're honest, this year has been a difficult one for us as a people. As a church, we have experienced loss. As a nation, we find ourselves in crisis. Politically, well, let's just say both up on the hill and across at Westminster, there is much feeling of disillusionment. As the prophet Isaiah finds himself in a place of hurt, confusion and disillusionment, many of us gathered here today find ourselves in a similar boat. A similar boat of waiting for breakthrough. A similar boat of hurting, of grieving, of feeling lonely, of being fed up of reaching the end of our rope, of trying to stay positive, of trying to keep our chin up. But if we're honest, it's getting harder and it's getting harder. I think it's important that if you find yourself resonating with any of those feelings and emotions this morning, that you recognise and you realise that that's okay. That's okay. That you realise and recognise that you are not alone. You are seen. You are heard. And you are loved. That the God who meets you in your best moments is the same God who meets you in your worst. That the God who has met you on the mountaintop is the same God who will meet you in the valley. That the God of Israel is the same God whom we gather together this morning to worship. That he is still in the business of making beauty from ashes and he still does great things and he still works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Our God still acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. But we're told in Isaiah 40 and verse 31 that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting is hard. But church, this morning, whilst the waiting is hard, he's worth waiting for. 
We read on in verses 5 to 7 of chapter 64. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and you have made us melt in the hand of your iniquities. Beavers are fascinating creatures. I remember my first introduction to beavers was through reading and watching C.S. Lewis's The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe. The role that the beavers, aptly named Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, played in leading Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy to Aslan is perhaps one of the most underrated heroic instances in literary history. Now, it wouldn't be like me to exaggerate, would it? But it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've always been fascinated by the confidence that beavers seem to have, despite the size of their front teeth. But beavers are industrious creatures who play a really vital role in nature and in, and in ecosystems. Famously, you may know that beavers construct dams, which in turn create wetlands, which are lush environments, which attract fish, frogs, ducks and other creatures. And most importantly, dams hold back the water from flooding various areas. However, whilst beavers are industrious creatures which seem to do a lot of good, they can also become a big headache for farmers and landowners by wiping out land that farmers need for their crops and livestock. Some stuff about beavers is good, but some stuff about beavers is bad. When and why did the pastor become David Attenborough, you ask? Well, first of all, Chloe loves nature documentaries and I picked up this information from one of those that we watched together. And secondly, I'm talking about beavers because I needed an illustration which included a dance. See, the prophet Isaiah speaks in verses 5 to 7 of how the sin of the people of Israel has, in essence, created a big dam holding back the blessing and marvellous deeds which the Lord longs to lavish upon his people. But in his holiness, because of sin, he cannot lavish this blessing out. Isaiah tells us of how this great dam of sin has allowed fatal toxins to flow downstream and infect the lives of the community of the people of God, causing them to give in to their own selfish desire. Sin, which is so subtle and seems so attractive, yet 
has side effects which are fatal. James in his letter to the church states that desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Isaiah cries out to God on behalf of the people on behalf of a people who were dead in their sin devoid of hope and cut off from their God. A people who in the loneliness, in the hurt, in the pain and in the sorrow have abandoned their God and have given in to their desires, their own selfish desires and have allowed sin to become their God. And in turn they have become a hopeless people unclean and swept along from sin to sin with no hope of escape. Speaking of this condition, C.H. Spurgeon instructed his congregation, you must not merely know that you're lost, but you must feel it. Do not be content with simply feeling that it is so, but mourn before God that it is so. And hate yourself that it is so. Do not look upon it as being a misfortune, but as being your own willful sin. And look upon yourselves, therefore, as being guilty sinners. See, it's Spurgeon didn't really beat around the bush. But sin separates us from God. For in him there is no sin and he simply cannot tolerate sin. But this morning there is hope. There is hope for our passage does not cease at chapter 7. For this is what Advent is all about. That there would be one who would come who would lay down his life. The righteous for the unrighteous. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. We read on from verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. The prophet in his prayer moves toward repentance. He has remembered that without God, the people are nothing. Without God, they are dead in their sin and in their iniquity. That without God, they are a people without hope. For so long they have gone their own way and have done their own thing. But now, but now they cry out to God for forgiveness, asking him to mould them into his likeness. That he would make them into the holy people that he longs for them to be. Into the holy people that he created them to be. That they might have the hope 
of fulfilling the destiny for which they were created. As we enter another Advent season, we are presented afresh with another opportunity to stop moving and acting in our own strength and operating in our own understanding. We are presented with another opportunity to become clay in the hands of our God who formed us fearfully and wonderfully. <coughs> Pardon me. Who formed us fearfully and wonderfully in our mother's womb. And who longs to mould us into everything that he has called us and desires us to be. This Advent season presents us with another opportunity for us to become the holy people of God. To allow him to be our father once again. To deal gently with us and mould us according to his great mercy. This Advent season presents another opportunity for us to wait patiently upon him and for an expectancy of blessing, of great and marvellous deeds to grow within our very being, within our very souls, as we live lives of holiness which bless others and bring glory to the name of our God. No matter the circumstance, no matter what we face, no matter the trial or tribulation. For he is great and worthy to be praised. And he is our father and we are his children. He is your father and you are his child. We have hope this morning in the reality that our God never fails. In a hopeless world, we have hope, not because of what we have done, but because of who he is and because of all that he has accomplished. That the one who came to rescue us is the one who molds us and is the one who will come again to take us to be with himself forever. So this morning, no matter how you felt when you walked in, no matter how you felt at the start of this message, let hope rise within your soul. May, as a church, may hope rise within our gathering, in our souls, in our innermost being. Let us worship him with our lives, in spirit and in truth in word and in deed. Let's come to him. Let's come to him afresh as clay in his hands that he might make us into what he wants us to be, that we might be transformed by and for his glory. And as we close, our time together this morning. Let us reflect on the words of this song which will play on the screen. A song which is a well-known tune with new words which speak of the hope of Advent. A hallelujah Christmas.
that as we reflect this Advent season, as we await the second coming of our of our Saviour and of the one true God, that we might do so filled with hope. Hope that does not disappoint. And hope that has a name. Because hope does have a name. And his name is Jesus. So let us listen to these words and reflect upon him. And may hope rise within us as his people. Amen.